All right. You didn't see that, did you? You didn't see that little, that was just a little stage change there for a second. All right. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. So Jesus, that song kind of sums it up. You don't need us, but you constantly invite us into your kingdom work in the world. Jesus, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be the loudest voice in the room, that you would speak to your people, Lord, in a way that only you can. In your name we pray, amen. So this is a tree. You with me? All right, good. I'm going to pretend this is an apple tree. You can see there's not many apples on the tree. Right? If this was an apple tree that we had in our yard, we were trying to actually get this tree to be useful. We wanted to produce apples. Right? If it doesn't produce apples, then probably we need to cut the tree down and just be done with it because it's not really doing what it's supposed to do. Jesus said a provocative thing in Luke chapter 6. Check it out. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Now, a couple other insights into this fruit-producing tree. If this is truly an apple tree, it doesn't need to work hard to produce the fruit that it's supposed to produce. It's genetically coded to produce apples. If it was trying to produce oranges, it wouldn't work, right? Because oranges it couldn't produce. It's not genetically coded to produce oranges. But we would recognize it as an apple tree because we go, oh, there's apples in the tree. It's producing the fruit it's supposed to produce, Right? If it didn't produce that fruit, we'd say, okay, this tree's out. Now, this profound point Jesus is making actually applies to people. Because according to this verse, we're supposed to be able to tell the kind of trees we are, the kind of people we are by the fruit we produce. We're supposed to be able to, uh, to, be able to tell the kind of church we are by the fruit we produce. If people look at our lives, look at our church, they're supposed to be able to tell this is the kind of church this is. It's producing this kind of fruit. And the thing is, if we're really that kind of church, we won't have to work hard to produce that fruit. It'll be spiritually coded inside of us to produce the fruit of the kingdom. So the signs of life among us, the resurrection life of Jesus bubbling out of our lives, will just automatically happen because we are Jesus' people and his Holy Spirit is pulsing through us, right? The question becomes, how do you become a church that produces the fruit of the kingdom? How do you become a person that produces the fruit of the kingdom so that when people look at your life, they go, that person is a deep and committed follower of Jesus. That church, the spirit of God's kingdom life is pulsing out from that place. How do you become those kind of people? Well, when Jesus walked the earth, he actually had a method for producing these kind of people. Think about this with me. He took 12 men, right? They were ordinary guys. They had ordinary jobs. They were nothing special. They weren't super schooled or super, like, educated. Just 12 ordinary guys. These guys were good Jewish boys. They had been growing up in this Jewish religion. Unfortunately, the Jewish religion had kind of lost its way, right? It was all about following the rules, checking the box, going through the motions, and it lost the spirit of the law and was following the letter of the law. So Jesus had to take these 12 guys and he had to try to make them into fruit-producing disciples of the kingdom. Right? He had to take them and say, i got to change the way you're doing this. 
In their Jewish religion, there was all kinds of minutia of rules. For instance, a Sabbath day's walk was a quarter mile outside the city. If you go to Jewish cities today in Israel, there's a pole that represents a Sabbath day's walk. You can only walk that far. If you walk beyond that pole, even one step, you are now working on the Sabbath. This is how ridiculous it got. Okay? So Jesus has to take these guys that have been immersed in this kind of culture of religion, and he's got to make them into these open, spirit-filled, resurrection life, fruit-producing kingdom disciples to make the kingdom he's after. Make sense? Now, the question becomes, again, how will he do this? Well, he's going to use this little art called facilitating. You say, facilitating? What's facilitating? Well, here's what's facilitating. Facilitating is like creating an experience where people discover for themselves the truth about something. It takes knowledge from your head and moves it to your heart and your experience, your soul, deep inside you. So Jesus is going to take these guys on a journey where he's going to facilitate for them an experience of the kingdom that goes beyond anything he can teach them with his mouth. It goes beyond information. It goes beyond just having a bunch of knowledge. It goes into this deep knowing inside your bones that this is the truth. And this is how the world really works. Uh, I've done some facilitating over my time. I, I was sent to train the counselors at Timberlee a couple summers ago. And I realized these kids were going to spend like 10 weeks of the summer with kids coming from all walks of life, and they were supposed to minister to them in the power and the presence of Jesus. So I asked them about prayer, if they understood prayer, and I gave them a good lecture on prayer, some information on prayer, and they said, okay, we get it, we get it. I said, no, you don't really get it yet. I want you to get in groups of three or four. I want you to go off by yourselves. I want you to pray over each person in the group. But I don't want you to ask the people what they're supposed to be prayed for. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and then pray whatever the Spirit tells you to pray. You should have seen the looks in their faces. Kind of like the looks on your faces right now. You're like, what? Seriously? We can't do that. I said, guys, just go try this. It's going to be okay. Go try it. See what happens. When they came back in the room, it was like a bomb had gone off. They were like raising their hands going, hey, this is what happened in our group. One group, they were praying over this kid. One of the kids... The counselors heard the words, a mighty oak. And he prayed over the kid, you will be a mighty oak for the Lord. At which point the kid burst into tears, went to his backpack, pulled out a piece of oak tree that he carried around since he was a little kid and said, this is what my youth pastor, my pastor called me years ago, a mighty oak. See, the kingdom of Jesus has different sets of rules. Right? So when you facilitate this experience... And when you train people on how to move in this kingdom, it takes more than just great lectures on the kingdom, great teachings. It takes us to understand deep inside of ourselves how the Holy Spirit wants to move out from our church. Now, Jesus was an amazing rabbi and teacher, outstanding, in fact. He wanted his disciples to have a transformative faith experience. He wanted them to discover for themselves this truth about the kingdom. He wanted them to own their faith deep inside their bones because he knew that if they were going to do the work he sent them to do, they were going to have to have this deeply embedded in them. Right? They were going to produce the fruit of the kingdom. They had this deeply embedded. So how did Jesus do this? Well, let's look at Jesus' school of kingdom living. Okay? So I'm going to take some passages here. Let's see what Jesus was up to. Matthew chapter 14 
As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, well, before we get to this, let's, let's just set the scene. Jesus is actually in a remote place. He's gone there because John the Baptist has been killed. So he takes the disciples to a remote place. But because he's Jesus, lots of people follow him. So he gets out to this remote place, and he's out there with all these people. The, the day's getting longer, and the disciples come to him and say this. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, this makes a lot of sense, right? But Jesus doesn't play by the same rules because he's building a kingdom that doesn't play by the same rules. So he says to his disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They're like, what? These are thousands of people. We have five loaves and two fish. What are you talking about, Jesus? And he says, well, you just bring that to me, please. And then Jesus proceeds to take these five loaves and just keeps breaking them and breaking them and breaking them and breaking them and breaking them. And pretty soon everyone's filled to the brim and there's 12 baskets left over. Now Jesus is facilitating an experience of the kingdom for his disciples. You know what he's telling them? Guys, you're right. You can't feed these people. You're weak. You're ordinary. Under your own power, nothing will happen. But if you bring to me whatever you have, I can multiply it with my power. You want to move in the kingdom? Then just get out of your seat and bring to me whatever you have. And I will move in my power and multiply its impact however many fold. Hundredfold. Make sense? Now again, you say, man, this is crazy, Klein. So you're telling me my little weak efforts at the kingdom, if I come, Jesus will multiply? I'm like, yeah, look at me. I'm up here preaching. It's a miracle, seriously. If you knew me years ago, you'd think this is a miracle. You know there definitely has to be a God if I'm preaching this sermon, right? So a couple years ago, in fact, right after this service, I'm going to get on a plane, fly to Colorado. Tonight I'm speaking in Colorado to 350 high school kids. Um, and Colorado Challenge, I'll be going for my 34th year or so. And a couple years ago, I was there with my daughter Morgan, and I tried to facilitate this idea of the kingdom life. So I told this, the kids, I did this crazy risky thing. I said to the kids, okay, tonight... Everyone who's got something wrong with them, I want you to go to the middle of the circle, the middle of the chapel. The rest of us, I want to just surround those people, and we're going to pray for them, but we're not going to ask them what's wrong with them or what they need prayer for. We're just going to listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> we stood there in awkward silence for a good seven, eight minutes. No one said a word. No one knew what to do. It was just a total disaster. I thought, okay, this is working out pretty well. So I said, okay, how about if I just close in prayer and you guys just go on your way? So we did that. About, a, about 15 minutes later, my daughter Morgan, who was there with me, came to me, my fourth born. No, third born. <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it, third born. Right. She came to me, she said, hey, Dad, I think I was disobedient during the prayer time. I said, really, Morgan, why? Well, because I heard that someone in the room had a hurt hand but I was too afraid to pray out loud because I thought I might get it wrong. As Morgan's talking to me, the leader of the band walks up, joins our conversation, says, hey, Jeff, I think I was disobedient to your request. I said, really, why? He goes, well, I fell earlier today on my hand, almost couldn't play my guitar tonight. Suddenly Morgan was like, whoa. I said, well, hey, Morgan's supposed to pray for you, so I'm going to leave you guys alone. I'm just going to go do something else. <laughs> See, in order to live out and produce the fruit of the kingdom, 
We have to understand that the kingdom plays by different rules. You can bring whatever you have to Jesus, and he will multiply that a hundredfold. Okay? It gets better. Look at this. Right after this story, Matthew 14, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the disciples are in the middle of the lake. Jesus is praying. Look what happens next. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking in the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, tell me to come out to you on the water. All right. Come on out. <laughs> what? Peter's dumb enough to step over the edge of the boat. He starts walking, and he's like, whoa, this is unbelievable. I'm walking on water. And then he starts looking at all the wind, the waves. He's like, oh, my goodness, this is nuts. And he starts to sink. Look what Jesus does. He saves him, right? Reached out his hand, caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, Peter was being taught about faith, Jesus knew that Peter would have to step out of the boat a number of times in the next several years to build the kingdom of Jesus. So here he's facilitating a moment when he's asking him to do something that's way beyond his ability. Step out of the boat, walk in the water, Peter. Peter will be asked to do a number of things beyond his ability over the next several years, including be crucified on an X-shaped cross, right? So he has to have faith. Now, again, Colorado Challenge, uh, my first year, 1984, I went with, uh, as a youth pastor, I brought 24 kids with me, and uh, they gave us a speech before we left, we're going to go rappelling off a cliff. You know this sport? You tie a rope to a tree, and you lower your backside over a really tall cliff. So they gave us a speech, and said, this is a totally safe sport, and it's, you know, we know what we're doing, and we're going to give you the right equipment, which was this stuff here. I looked at this, now this has a lot of holes in it. I don't know. Um, and they said, you know, this here, this, this figure eight and carabiner, this will hold a car over the cliff. You put a car over the cliff hanging from this rope, it will hold the car. This is perfectly safe. Are you ready to go? And of course, after that speech, I was like, I believe you, I'm ready to go. So we got on the hill, the, 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 the repelling hill, and my, my good friend said, hey, Klein, you should go first to model for a youth group how this works. I said, okay, I, I believe this is going to be awesome. I got the, the harness on. I got the rope attached. I started to back toward the edge of the cliff. I looked between my legs and thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> and literally, I froze. Now, my loving, caring youth pastor friends, of course, shouted out some encouragement. Hey, Klein, you wuss. What's wrong with you? Let's go. Get over the cliff. I thought you were a man. That kind of stuff, you know, very encouraging stuff. So I stood there frozen on the edge of the cliff. I thought, oh man, this is terrible. My kids are all watching. Everyone's watching. I can't move. My good friend from college walked up. He was an army brat, had done this many times before. He said, hey, Jeff, are you afraid? I said, I'm really afraid. You have no idea. He goes, well, it's okay to be afraid. It's just not okay to let fear stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. Now get over that cliff. Your kids are watching. 
And literally, I backed over super slow, and I eventually made it down to the bottom and thanked the Lord that I was still alive. But that day, on that cliff, God taught me some things about myself. He taught me some things about my faith, about my ability to trust, about my ability to move in things that were unfamiliar to me. I wasn't so good at it. I was kind of scared. He taught me all kinds of things that I could never have learned by just hearing a lecture on repelling. I had to actually step out of the boat and hang from the rope and learn to trust that it was going to be okay. To be a, a person in the kingdom who's moving in the kingdom, all of us have to get out of our seats and try something, something, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, something that stretches us and makes us really Rely on, trust on Jesus and his power. You'll never understand kingdom life just coming to church Sunday morning, sitting in your seat, listening to a sermon. You're going to have to get out of your boat some way, somehow. And Jesus is trying to facilitate that in your life, in my life, all the time. Okay? Let's keep going. Uh, Here's another story. We already read this one, Matthew chapter 10. Um, He sends his disciples out two by two. And I can tell you, this is the worst planned missions trip of all times. Seriously, think about it. You're not going to f- raise any funds. You're just going to go? I mean, if we did this with our youth group, you would all be, I mean, our elders would be going, are you crazy, Andy? You're nuts. You're going to go with no fundraising? You're just going to go do this? What? Right? It's a terrible plan. Don't take any equipment. Just you're the equipment. <laughs> what? And then look what he tells them to do. Next slide. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to, to heal the sick raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. Really? What if Jesus sent you out and said, okay, I want you to get out there and help person, heal sick, raise the dead, cast out some demons this week. You ready to go? You're like, okay, I guess I'm kind of ready to go. Right? Again, Jesus is facilitating his disciples and experience. He sends them out. They go out, they come back, and they say, Jesus... It's crazy that even the demons listen to us in your name. We're seeing dead people raised from the dead. We're seeing people healed. It's crazy. This kingdom life is flowing out from us. Crazy. So again, I'll take you to Colorado Challenge a few years ago. Tried to facilitate another experience, which was sort of a disaster, about healing. Had kids praying over each other for healing. But again, the Lord's amazing. So I'm praying over healing. Nothing happens in the chapel time. This one girl was there. She had these braces on her ankles the whole week. She would literally be limping around camp with these braces on both ankles. And she would have to go every night to the nurse's station, in fact, every morning and night, to get ice for her ankles so she could make it through the day. She had had some sort of injury during volleyball, had ruined her ankles, and she was just limping through camp in a lot of pain. So the particular night we tried this praying for healing thing, nothing really happened. She went down to the nurse's station to get her ice. And she walked right through a small group of girls that she never met before in her life. And she walked through. She got her ice. She came out with the ice wrapped around her ankles. And these girls, prompted by the chapel, said, well, maybe we should pray for you. Okay. So these girls that don't know this girl get up and they pray over her that God would take away the pain, heal her ankles, make her well. She waits, nothing happens. She limps up the stairs and goes to bed. The next morning at breakfast, 6 a.m., she comes and finds me in the dining hall. 
She has no braces on. She's going like this. Look at this climb. Look at this. It's unbelievable. Look at this. Whoa, whoa, look at this. She's going crazy. I'm like, what happened? She tells me the story. These girls had no idea. They got to use their prayer, their kingdom prayer, to heal this girl's ankles. And when we step out as kingdom people, Jesus wants to move through our lives. He wants to facilitate these signs of life through the world, through our lives, through his power at work within us. Now, this makes me pause and think about a few things application-wise. First one is this. Do you wonder, do you ever wonder what Jesus is facilitating in your life right now? If Jesus is this great facilitator, what's he facilitating in your life right now as you sit here this morning? If I've learned anything, Jesus is always up to something. Even the most mundane things in my day, he's up to something. He's always up to something. He's doing something to shape us and mold us into the kingdom people he needs us to be. My last ministry job, I would say I could use a lot of words, but it was difficult. In fact, I was flying back one night from California, having spent a week out there speaking to churches about getting out there in the world and doing mission and realizing that what I was doing was not really working. So I was in the plane going, God, you got to get me out of here. You got to get me out of here. And as I was thinking that thought, I picked up this book that I was reading by Mike Breen, and this is what it said. Here's what I noticed in these times of erosion, difficulty. Our natural inclination towards self-preservation makes us want to get out of the pit as soon as possible. Of course, that's a natural, instinctive human reaction. But I'd suggest we take a different posture. So instead of the posture that says, God, get me out of here as quickly as possible, we step into the process and say, God, don't let me leave this place until I've learned what it is you have to teach me. That night in the plane, I resolved that I would stick with that ministry as long as I had things to learn from the Lord. What about you this morning? Are you sitting here with difficulty going on in your life, difficult things, you just want to get out? What if Jesus is up to something? Don't get out before you learn where the gold is, what he's trying to facilitate in your life. He may be up to something profound, and your life and wants to facilitate that through this difficult thing or through whatever you're going through. Stick with it. Stay in there. Trust him. Know that he's trying to shape you into a tree that can produce kingdom kinds of fruit in the world. Make sense? Now, there's a second one here that I thought about, and that's this. You know, Jesus didn't just do this with his disciples. He also facilitated with his people he met along the way. At one point, the story goes in John 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I, I love this. The disciples have been trained in a theology that says, this guy's blind, somebody must be to blame, it's either him or his parents that have sinned. That's their theology. Gotta blame somebody. Look what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What does Jesus do? Kind of gross, but he does this. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Is there one more card? I think so. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I love this story. Jesus facilitates this guy's healing and he asked him to participate in it. 
This guy's blind. You know how far the pool of Siloam is from where they're sitting? It's a quarter mile journey. You're sending a blind guy with saliva mud on his eyes to the pool of Siloam and saying, go wash there and the, and the Lord's going to heal you. And this guy gets up. He's crazy enough to get up and go. He gets out of his seat. I don't know how he got there. Maybe someone led him there. And he found his way to the pool and he washed and he came home seeing. That would be a crime to preach a sermon on facilitating without facilitating. So this morning, I want to teach you something. The Jewish people had a practice. It was called mikvah. It was done with water. They did it a lot of different ways. One of the ways they did it was to come to the water to commit themselves to the journey of following God fully, right? Following Jesus fully. The way this would look is they'd come to the water and they would get down on their knee and they would take the water and they'd say, Lord, help me to follow you with my head and my mind. Help me to follow you with my feet. Give me a heart to follow you fully. And Lord, I offer you my hands to work out your kingdom work in the world. Now this morning, I'd like to suggest that you won't really understand what Jesus wants to do through your life until you get out of your seat and come to the water. Right? You can do the head, hands, feet, heart thing. You can just come and pray, put some water, however you want to do it. Pastor Greg always talks about reminding ourselves what happened at our baptism, right? It's kind of a similar thing. Okay? So this morning, I'm going to invite us to kind of be quiet for a minute in a second here. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to kind of have you heal? Where do I need mud put on my life so I can go to the water and be washed and cleansed and healed and experience the kingdom signs of resurrection life through my own life? And then when the band starts to play music, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to come to the water, I invite you to come to the water and get some water on and spend some time with the Lord. Okay? You understand? All right, so let's just be quiet for a minute, and then when the band starts to play, you're invited to come to the water.